0: now if everybody will welcome our Upright Armadillo, I'm just kidding, I don't have an Upright Armadillo. I tell you, you bring one Upright Armadillo to a party, no one will let you forget it for the rest of your life. I'm just kidding, Uh, as far as you know. Um, But today, yeah, uh, we're talking about Gladiator today, one of my favorite movies, a lot of people's favorite movie because it won like five Academy Awards and Best Picture, Best Actor stuff like that. But I, I, and I've watched it a couple of times, like leading up to this, kind of to refresh myself, you know, get it back fresh in mind. And, and it really does stand up. Like, there's some movies that I watched years ago, and I watch them again, and I'm like, yeah, well. but this one, it's so good. And uh, if you haven't watched it, I'm sorry for you, uh, but I'm going to spoil some of it today, because it but it's a great story the the idea of the story is that you've got this guy who at the beginning of the movie is a general in the roman army and he's got everything but he's ready to give it up and go like be with his family and that's all he wants and it gets all taken away from him just in a series of events um he ends up a slave and a gladiator and uh uh, this this part, the scene that we just showed a second ago, that's when he, the, his first time in the arena in Rome. And uh, the cool part about that is what happens afterward, he was supposed to get killed in that scene. One more time that he was supposed to die, but instead he flipped the script on everybody and got the guys in the arena to work with him, and they all survive. And, uh, And then afterward, he comes face to face with his nemesis and he does that famous line, you know, where he says who he is, where he says, I'm the father to a murdered child, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And you're like... And then you realize you've still got like an hour left in the movie. Like, what's going to happen now? I'm telling you, if you haven't watched it, you should go home and watch it. Um, It's funny because when that movie came out, I was a youth pastor at another church. And, you know, it was an R-rated movie. And, like, you can't go see an R-rated movie. You're a pastor. You can't see an R-rated movie. You know, I'd have to sneak into Blockbuster with sunglasses and a hoodie if I wanted to try to run an R-rated movie. So... Like, and so two of the kids in my youth group though, they were, they were seniors in high school, and they were like, hey Chris, we wanna take you out to lunch, and we wanna we want just, like, you've done a lot in our lives, we wanna do something for you, and so we went out to eat, and they said, we have a surprise for you, and I'm like, oh, cool, and they took me to Gladiator, and like, we're walking into the theater, and I'm like, oh no, oh no. Not only am I going to see an R-rated movie, I'm going to see it with some of my kids. I'm done. <laughs> My ministry's over, and then I watched it, and I was like, the whole movie like they they looked over, they said, "You were crying in the movie. I'm like, I know this was the most amazing thing I've ever seen and uh and so I just loved the movie and and I love anything like swords and armor, that kind of stuff I always have that's always been my my thing, like I remember as a little kid, like sticks hitting trees, um fighting against you know trees because I didn't have a lot of friends but uh so I would fight whatever wouldn't hit me back and uh you know uh but I, I loved that stuff I loved it growing up I loved uh that was my favorite part of church even right, like David and Goliath how cool is that cutting off a giant's head that's awesome um like battle scenes and things like that, and I loved um, the passage in Ephesians, the, the passage about the armor of God, right? Um, I remember when I was I was probably fourth grade, and this guy came, I, I'm really old, they don't even, no one even does this anymore, but this guy came and did a chalk drawing of the armor of god right and he's talking about it as he's doing it and it was really cool It was like life-size chalk drawing of this guy in armor and if you memorize the armor of god passage and you set it back the next sunday they said the first one to say it back would get the chalk drawing I, i was the second one to say it back so i didn't get the chalk drawing but i did memorize it in king james and so there was you know i got something out of it um but that passage always like captivated me, and some of you may not be familiar with it, so I, I thought we'd kind of start as a jumping off point, we'd kind of read through it, um, just so you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about that passage, the armor of God. So this is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, and uh And it's through 18, so we're going to read it together. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, to stand firm. And and stand firm, remember that. Uh, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, um, and the shoes for your feet, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I hope you guys like it too. When I was a kid, though, I had this image that it put in my mind of me wearing armor, like medieval armor, right? This big sword in my hand. It may have been flaming. I don't know. It was a big sword, though. And a shield with a cross on it, definitely a cross. And my helmet with, like, the, the feathers in the back, like, you know, and and the wind gently ruffling my cape. I know the cape isn't in the armor of God, just go with me. And it's like, and I'm standing on a hillside and then this like little scraggly demon comes out of the woods and it's like, I'll get you and I'm like, come at me. And he's like, and I just swat him down and like kick him and grind his head into the ground. And like, I'm the hero, right? And that's how I pictured this passage. And I I always had that in my mind. but what I've realized over the years is that the Bible has some stuff in it that sometimes, sometimes when we read the Bible, we take for granted what it's saying. Without it, it doesn't actually say it, but we think it says it. Does that make sense? We, we don't understand the, necessarily the, the culture in which it was being said, so, so we misunderstand the whole passage, right? It's kind of like when I say something, when I talk to middle schoolers, and I talk to them about dialing a phone, and they picture this, and they go, I don't understand what does dialing have to do with anything, right? Now, some of you that are older like me, you remember phones that you had to, right? That just went the wrong way. Anyway, but, uh, like you remember dialing a phone but so when i say dialing a phone to them it means something like it's confusing to them when we think of armor today we don't really see people in armor i mean armor is a tank right so we don't we don't see people in armor so we kind of think about medieval stuff because that's kind of comfortable for us right and as americans we think of ourselves as like the rugged individuals, right? That's what we prize in American culture. The one who can stand up on his own, right? Stand on his own two feet and be... And so so I think what's happened is a lot of us have translated that passage into my image that I had. The idea of, of being a hero. And I, I'm not... Uh, believe me, I'm not like faulting you if that's the way you've thought about it and if you want to keep thinking about it feel free, I mean that's, that's fine, I know people who talk about like I pray the armor of God on every morning, you know so I can go out and do battle and, and that's cool, I don't want to take that away from you but I would like to kind of present the armor to you in its historic kind of context and maybe you'll understand something about the armor that you never did before and that's what my hope for you. So if you guys will indulge me, I'd just like to share some of this with you. Is that okay? Like, I'm going to be all weird and nerdy and stuff. but Because um, I've got the full armor of God up here, and this is Roman armor. So during, during the time of the first century, when Paul's writing this, um, everyone would have been very familiar with what a Roman soldier looked like. I mean, they were everywhere. If you lived in the Roman Empire, you saw Roman soldiers. Um, they worked I mean they were police they were I mean they were on the streets they were doing things and here's the other thing too you would probably have seen some you would probably have seen them in battle before because they didn't have Netflix like you needed entertainment you'd go out on the hillside when the Roman army was drilling and you'd watch them drill you know because it was cool and they were the precision that they had. And then on top of that, let's say the Romans came and they had to put down an uprising or something, you might have watched them fight because a lot of times a battle would be happening and people would be up on the hillside watching the battle, like entertainment, right? And, and it wasn't just entertainment, it was also CNN, it was also their news, right? Because they needed to know if the Romans were gonna win or lose so they'd know if they needed to run <laughs> or not, right? So, so mattered. So they would have seen Romans fight before. And, and so this armor would have been familiar to them, and its functions would have been familiar to them. So when we see it, we're like, oh, that looks yeah, kind of like an upright armadillo. But we don't understand it right. So I want to help you understand it. So let's look at the different parts. We'll start with the helmet. This helmet is, uh, this is a, called a Gallic helmet. It's a uh, a specific style of helmet that was popular around the first century um, popular it was standard issue okay um, this is this is actually a masterpiece of uh, like warfare at the time so it 's got this neck piece on the back that protects the back of your neck, but it doesn 't lay on the neck, so it allows air to get up under and circulate into the helmet so you don 't overheat even even when it's hot outside. Um, The little ear flaps here, these little brass ear flaps, protect so if a sword comes down the side, it won't cut right through your ear. It'll cut into that, and that'll slow it down. Um, A helmet like this also sometimes would have marks that would show what unit you were in, things like that. But this was standard. If you were a legionary in the Roman Empire, you wore this helmet. And so when you were arrayed in a phalanx and you were all standing in rows, you could tell exactly who belonged there and who didn't. If you were a centurion, you had a crest that went sideways so they could know exactly where the centurion, the one who's in command of the century, where, where he was standing. So this is identity for a Roman soldier. When they can't see any other part of your armor, any other, any other thing, they can see your helmet. So think about it for us as Christians, salvation, we have a new identity. We put on this helmet that identifies us as belonging to Christ. And and even everything about this matters, like even this little cool thing right here, um, it's like, what is that? It's not a good sun visor, it's too high. This is This one little piece of metal was made to counter one specific weapon called a falcata, which is a sword that has all its weight towards the front. A falcata is made to split helmets. An overhand blow with a falcata would split the helmet right down the middle. Your head would be inside, so it would actually split your head too. But the helmet would go first, and it would go all the way through. And like a falcata with a regular helmet could literally split their head all the way down to their neck, like boom that one little piece of folded metal provides resistance enough so that the rest of the helmet plus this little brass like wings here that will stop the falcata provides resistance so this was the main group that used the falcata were the Gauls so this is a Gallic helmet um, to fight against Gauls right Uh, so that's the helmet Um, let me share these are amazing these are Roman sandals. Roman soldiers were expected to be able to march 20 miles a day with full kit. Full kit for them might be up to 180 pounds of gear. So they could march 20 miles a day, 180 pounds of gear, go to bed, get up, and do it again the next day. And they were expected to be able to do that. Now do you see why these were the most formidable fighters on the face of the earth? I mean anybody that can do that, but then think about how hard that would be on sandals. So they have these sandals that have these hobnails in the bottom so that when they're walking on the paved Roman roads, their sandals won't wear out even if they're marching 20 miles a day. On top of that, these hobnails give you really good footing on uncertain ground and they're also great for stomping the face of your enemy. Um, The other cool thing, and I didn't know this until recently, but the way Roman, Roman, see how these are cut out? These sandals are cut out in places. The way they're cut out is intentional. They're cut out in the places where you would most likely wear blisters. So in the parts where the sandal would wear against your foot, there's no sandal to wear against your foot. So they're made so that a marcher who's marching every day, every day, every day, won't get blisters. It also is ventilated so that your feet don't get soggy and you don't get trench foot So like your feet can breathe and you'll last for a long time. So these sandals are amazing. The preparation of the gospel of peace. They were ready to take the message wherever they had to go. The breastplate, this is called uh, Lorca Segmentata. Now in the time of Jesus, just a few years before, this was cutting edge stuff, right? But by the time of Paul, pretty much all Romans would have been wearing the segmentata. This was an amazing advancement. Before, they used a thing called the lorica hamata, which was chainmail. It was great, you can make a bunch of them, they last for a long time. The problem is, chain mail blunt force trauma will break ribs, or break a shoulder blade, or a clavicle, things like that. So if somebody came at you with a club, or a blunt weapon, they could do a lot of damage. But this will absorb that and diffuse it. So wherever they hit you, you're not even gonna feel it, probably. Um, I like this as a symbol for breastplate righteousness because I, I talk about righteousness. Righteous, it means you do right things, right? And it's not one right thing that you do, it's the right things that you do over and over that make layers, that protect your heart, right? So you do the right thing, you do the right thing so that you can protect your heart from getting hard. And uh, so that's breastplate of righteousness. I love that. Um, Then we have the shield, shield of faith. Now, a Roman shield is called a scutum. It's bigger than this. This is actually a cavalry, Roman cavalry shield. And uh, so it was made to be used from horseback. But the scutum is actually bigger than this. It was a huge shield. But even though it's big, it's not super heavy because the Romans were amazing, they came up with plywood. Um, The first plywood that we know of in history was a Roman invention. So they'd take thin layers of wood, they'd run the grain different directions and glue it, making it super strong, super light, great for shields. Right. And so this was part of the kit that every Roman soldier would carry. And um, these shields were great they're, they're not so great if you're fighting by yourself But in a phalanx Locked shield by shield They're really good um, And uh, we'll come back to that in a minute But um, That's the shield And the shield, I like that the shield protects you But it also protects half of the person Next to you right? So you're protecting yourself But the way you're holding the shield It's only going to come to about right here on you and then it's the leftover's gonna protect the next person, and the person over here, their shield's gonna protect me, right? So as long as we stay straight, we're okay. And then we have the sword. This is a, what's called a gladius, a Roman sword. This is um, a thrusting sword. It's not made for slashing, and it's fairly short. Now, a short sword like this isn't great if you're gonna go toe-to-toe with someone in an arena or on a battlefield where you have lots of room to move. But on a battlefield where the quarters are tight and the enemy is pushing against you, this is great. Because you can maneuver the tip wherever you want and push it right in between the armor, right? Or what they would do is they would use it, um, they would do a thing called the thresher. Um, where they would, they'd rest the sword here, they'd rest the shield on the ground, and they'd just let the enemy come and push the sword. Right? So that's not, I'm not doing too much to do that. I'm letting their momentum rip them to pieces. Pretty cool. Um, So, but when they do that, you know, as long as we're all working together, that works. So, Now, I've gone through all the cool pieces of the armor, and now I have the stupid one. Um, Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? The belt. The belt of truth. I mean, I remember reading this when I was a kid and being like, seriously, I wear a belt. It should be the belt of pant holding up. Like, that's not the belt of truth. It's a weird, it's a weird piece of armor, right? And And I never heard anybody explain it very well. Every time I'd hear a pastor talk about the armor of God, I mean, they'd come up with reasons for it, but I would always be like, eh, I don't know. Like, for example, the first one I ever heard was, the guy said, the belt is what all the other armor is connected to. So you put on the belt so that the rest of the armor can... Stay in place. That's stupid. This isn't going to hold that in place. I mean, it's dumb. I can see that. I'm a nine-year-old kid going, yeah, that doesn't work for me, right? So then I heard people say um, that like, so uh, this, this is, see it has those pieces that hang down and the Romans would wear this tunic, right? And so that they would wear this belt so that if they sat down, that it would keep the tunic in place so it wouldn't like fly up in the wind like Marilyn Monroe, right? And, and so it, on some level I thought, okay, why isn't it then the belt of like humility or modesty, it's the belt of truth, that doesn't make any sense. And then number two, just so you realize that's putting American values on a Roman soldier, like they really weren't that worried about being naked in public like, they had games where they would be, I mean, they would be, they would, they wouldn't have worried about the belt, they'd have just been like, "Ah," (laughs) whatever, like, they don't care, why that, I don't know, it's on the internet again, um, (laughs) sorry, but I mean, they would just, it wouldn't have mattered to them, right, and then I also heard somebody say, well, they would put, like, things that showed what campaigns they were in, and that That's true, some of them did, but again, so, hey, check out where I've been. Like, that's weird (laughs) to me. It doesn't make any sense. And then, something cool happened. I saw these guys doing reenactment, and when they were doing Roman reenactment, I saw how they used the belt, and dude, all the armor changed for me. Everything changed. So check this out, when you're in in combat, you get tunnel vision, the adrenaline surge and everything causes you to not be able to see very well. But for a Roman, they need to be able to work together and know who's around them. So check out, let's look back at what Maximus said in the arena, he called everybody out and he said, stick with me and you'll survive, right, you'll live. So that's right after you can see that first chariot coming out. And some of, those, some of them are starting to gather towards the center. And some of them are saying, no, I'm good on my own, right? Now, in a few seconds, in a few minutes in this movie, you're going to watch those that say, yeah, I'm good on my own, get ripped to pieces. Spears in their chest, arrows in their leg. They're, they're, they're just going to get torn up. But the rest do this. Check this out. And you hear Maximus saying, lock shields, hold fast. Lock shields, hold fast. See, because the power of a Roman soldier is when his shields are locked with the soldiers next to him and they're working together. What they're about to do in a second, Maximus is going to say, diamond, diamond. And when he does, the ones on the backside uh, over here are going to step out and lean their shields down and the ones on the front side are going to step that direction too which will make the chariot which you're seeing from the chariot view the chariot is going have to have to move out around them it's going to hit and flip and they are going to tear those people apart because even though they're only human they're only men against this huge heavy chariot when their shields are locked it exponentially increases the strength that they have and so they flip the chariot. All right, so in Roman combat, the way you're strong is when your shield is locked into the shield next to you. The problem is tunnel vision means I can't see the people next to me, so I can't see if I'm in line unless I turn my head. Every time I turn my head, I'm at risk to the people right in front of me who are trying to kill me, so that's stupid. If I'm doing this, I'm gonna die, right? The second rank grabs my belt. If I step too far forward, they hold me. If I'm not moving forward and the people around are, they push me. The belt of truth is accountability. The belt of truth is I can't see anything except what I'm fighting. I need someone to keep me straight while I'm fighting. You're not an army without accountability. You're a soldier on a hill by yourself. I believe that Paul wrote this passage because he knew and he knows and we know if we're being honest that we have an enemy. So pull out your notes real quick. We're going to fill in the notes. Just got a few minutes. I know some of you were like, hey, there were blanks. I was given blanks coming in. I'm going to fill them all in, all right? Settle down. So look at this. Look at that first, 1 Peter 5:8 there. Read uh, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You have an enemy, your enemy is real, and he wants to destroy you, and he can. I know some of you think you're stronger than the devil. You're not. He's more powerful than you. And, and so if you're standing on that hillside waiting for the little like gremlin to come out so you can stomp it, it's not a gremlin. It's like a dragon. It's like an ancient dragon. It's like a 40-foot-tall, fire-breathing dragon. He, he, he's... He's a roaring lion. He wants to destroy you. If you don't believe you have an enemy, then he's already won. All right, look at this, though. He he has two goals, two goals. One, he wants to fight you by yourself. He wants you to think you can take him so that you'll come out on the battlefield wearing this armor alone. And let me just throw this out. If you come out on the battlefield in this armor of God that God has provided to you, your shield is way too big for single combat. You can't wield it. Your sword is way too short. You don't have enough reach. Your armor only protects you from here to here, it doesn't protect your legs at all. It's a huge target. If you go to do single combat with this armor, you're done. He wants you alone. And the second thing is, he wants to push you. Look at this. He wants to push you in his direction. Remember back in the beginning when it talked about the armor of God? It says, in that day, being, having done everything to stand. See, because here's what it looks like to win in a Roman battlefield. What it looks like to win is to not move. You hold your position and you let them break against you like water and you thresh them. And the more they come, the more you fight. And Romans would take a break every every few minutes. They'd blow a flute, and the front rank would drop back, and the second rank would take their place. So every hour, you're only fighting like six minutes because you're not made to fight all the time. You have to have other people that back you up. But because of that, oh gosh, a Roman legion... A 1,000 men could stand up to 15,000 for a full day and not even break a sweat. Well, they would sweat, it's hot. But, I mean, but they could do it, no problem. Because they worked together. And they would stand in a place and they wouldn't move. And I think it's interesting that in the armor, it doesn't say that having done everything to push through the enemy lines and break down their barriers, having done everything to slaughter all the enemies. It doesn't say that. It says having done everything to stand because Paul knew that. That's what Romans do. They take the battlefield and they stand. Anybody can come against them that wants to and they're not gonna move, right? And look, look at this. That's why God planned for us to be an army. See, God didn't plan for you to fight by yourself. I know sometimes, like, you feel like you're gonna get up in the morning and you're gonna pray on that armor, and that's cool. But if you pray on that armor and walk out on the battlefield by yourself, you're gonna die. And that's why at the end, he doesn't say... He says, pray for each other. Lift up all the saints, right? Because we're made to be an army. We're not made to be heroes. We're made to work together, we're made to lock shields. And whatever comes out of the gate, we have a better chance to beat it together. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you this morning, and Lord, I really believe there are people in this room who have been fighting their battles alone. And Lord, as they're, as they're on the field, they feel this, this sea of enemies around them, and they, they just can't even see the way out. And Lord, I just pray that today they'll realize that that's not how they're meant to fight. Lord, that they're meant to lock shields with other people. And Lord, that they're meant to give other people the right to grab them by the belt and say, "No, no, you're going too far," or, or push them forward and say, "No, you need to go farther. They need accountability. And Lord, I just pray that, that right now today, that, that we'll, we'll begin to think of ourselves not just as, as lone fighters, Lord, but as an army. Lord, you, you made us to be part of a greater whole. And Lord. I thank you for for the fact that you didn't leave us on a battlefield surrounded by enemies alone, that you put us on a battlefield surrounded by enemies with an army that could stand against anything that comes against us. Not because we're powerful alone, but because we're powerful together. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing in and through us and all that you're gonna do, and I pray that as we go forth from this place, we'll go forth as an army. In Jesus' name, amen.